Hello, precious friends. Today we're going to do our second session in a series that we're doing on the Bible. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask that your Holy Spirit will enlighten your word to our hearts and give us understanding. We know that you gave us your word to reveal yourself to us. Help us to receive it. And please bless it. And would you let the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. I want to address the question this morning of what does the Old Testament say? It's a lot of books, 39 of them. But remember from our last time that this Bible is the inspired, infallible, inerrant Word of God. Psalm 33 and verse 6 tells us that by the Word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth all their host. God's spoken Word is powerful. God's written Word is powerful. And we have God's Word right here. It is powerful. We have God's Word in this book that we call the Bible, the Holy Scriptures. The Bible is a book, but it's more than a book. It's a library of 66 books. And in this library, there are books of law and history and poetry and wisdom and biography and prophecy and letters. They're all here. It's a special library that God has written for us, preserved for us, and given to us to tell us everything we need to know in order to live and to know and to please Him. The Bible is divided into two major sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, we could say the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Covenant was a covenant of law. The new covenant is a covenant of grace. And today, we're going to take a bird's eye view of the Old Testament. We begin with Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, the very first verse of the very first book of the Bible. And it says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. God is an infinitely eternal God there is no beginning or ending for him. He always has been, and he always will be. So Genesis 1-1 is a particular point where time began for creation. Before Genesis 1-1, there was God, and there was Jesus Christ, and there was the Holy Spirit. And when there was nothing where creation was concerned, there was God. And then God spoke. And in Genesis 1-1, it says, in the beginning, God created. Now, that word created means created out of nothing. Um, God acted to bring something out of nothing. If, if you and I are going to create something, let's say we're going to create a piece of art needlework. We're going to have to have thread. We're going to have to have a needle. We're going to have to have either cross point canvas or 
um, needlepoint canvas or something, we've got to have materials to start with. We can't just start with nothing and create anything. God started with nothing and created the world. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in verse 2 of Genesis 1, it says, And the earth, when he first created it, the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And then God spoke. By the word of God, there was light. By the speaking of God, there was light and day and night, and there was an expanse called heaven, and waters gathered into one place, and there was dry land, and he called it the earth and the seas. God spoke, and the earth sprouted vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit. And God said, let there be the sun and the moon and the stars. And he said, let there be living creatures in the water and birds in the air and cattle and creeping things and beasts. And then he said, let us, who's he talking about? Himself, the sun and the Holy Spirit, let us make mankind in our image and according to our likeness, and let them rule over all the earth. And God made man, mankind. He made man. And God saw all that he had made and said it was very good. And God planted a garden. And God caused beautiful trees to grow there. And they were good for food. And there were rivers there to water the garden. And God took the man and placed him in the garden. And he told him, from any tree in this garden, you may eat freely, except you may not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. Now, mind you this. It is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam already knew good. So God is protecting him from knowing evil. And he said, if you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. And then God considered that it was not good for man to be alone. So he made woman. And there was Adam and Eve in a perfect place, a perfect environment, in a perfect relationship with each other and with God, and there they were. You would think everything would have been wonderful forever. But Satan entered in the form of a serpent, and he caused Eve to doubt God's word, to doubt God's goodness, and to doubt God's sovereignty. He planted seeds of doubt and deception he is really good at that. And he did that to Eve. And so what happened was Adam and Eve then disobeyed God. They disobeyed his command to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so when they ate, death became a very real part of their lives. Adam and Eve made a choice. And they decided to believe Satan rather than God. We can still make that choice today. 
And so all descendants of Adam and Eve since that time have been born condemned to death. What died in Adam and Eve that day was their spirit. And that's like a computer virus. It just keeps on going through every other computer. And it's been going since that to every person who has ever been born. And so God spoke directly to Satan. And he said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. One would be a fatal blow. The other one would not be fatal. Or basically he said, Satan, there's going to be conflict between you and the woman. And one day someone is going to be born of a woman, someone who will come as the seed of a woman who will have victory over you, even though you will give him a wound. And this is the first promise of Messiah, of salvation that could now save mankind from the eternal death that he has chosen for himself by choosing Satan's way. Well, God's presence with Adam and Eve had been constant. But when they disobeyed, they were separated from him. It interrupted their fellowship. It interrupted his presence there with them. And so the promise of Messiah was the beginning of how sinful man could be reconciled to God. For the first time, Adam and Eve knew that they were naked. And Satan had introduced them to shame. He had introduced them to guilt, to confusion, to shame. And they tried to cover themselves. They tried to make a covering for themselves. Well, they had leaves, and so they tried to cover themselves, but that didn't work. They couldn't do that. And so God slew an animal and made garments of skin for Adam and Eve. And they were faced with what death looked like for the very first time. Death so that they might be covered. Now, the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis tells of four major events. If you want to outline the book of Genesis, you can do it in eight easy steps. First four are in the first 11 chapters, and it's creation, fall, flood, and nations. Creation, fall, flood, and nations. So we've seen creation, we've seen the fall of man. And so Adam and Eve went on and they had children. And over time, mankind multiplied and grew worse and worse and worse. And the Lord God saw that the wickedness of man was great. And so Genesis 6, 5 tells us that every intent of the thoughts of man's heart was on evil continually. Well, God was grieved. And he said that he was sorry that he had even made man. So the Lord God decided that he would blot out mankind, just blot it out. And he would blot out animals and creeping things, birds. He was sorry that he made it. Just get rid of it. But then there is a but, B-U-T. That is a huge word in scripture. 
So one of the buts in the Bible, you know, that started a whole new chapter of history. And it says after God decided he was going to just get rid of everything, it says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a man who walked with God and listened to him. Um, Noah built an ark. God just told him, he said, you go build an ark. He gave him the instructions. Now, mind you, Noah had never seen rain, but he said, you just go, go build an ark. And he gave him the instructions. And so Noah just did what God told him to do. And God instructed him, instructed him to put his family in there with a representative of representation of animals. And God sent a flood. And for 40 days and 40 nights, it rained and rained and rained and destroyed everything on the earth except the ark. But the ark was safe and is a picture of salvation. So here's the ark in the middle of the judgment of God. The ark was in the water, but the water was never in the ark. And so judgment was all around, but Noah found grace, God's favor. And he, uh, in the eyes of the Lord, and he listened to God, he obeyed God, and he was saved, and so was his family. Well, when the flood waters dried up, and the ark rested on dry ground, the people and animals exited the ark. And God told them, he said, you go be fruitful and multiply and repopulate the earth. And so they, they did, and, and the whole earth had one language. But then the people became self-centered and prideful. And again, again, Man's heart was still set on evil. And they said, let's build for ourselves a city. No, this is about us. Let's build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach to heaven. And let us make a name for ourselves. The Lord intervened and confused their language so they could not understand one another, and he scattered them throughout the whole earth, and nations were born. Creation, fall, flood, and nations. Now, in chapters 12 through 50 of the book of Genesis, there are four main characters. So here's what you're going to do. If you're going to outline Genesis, you're going to go creation, fall, flood, nations, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. So God made this profound promise to Abraham, and God promised him a seed or descendants, a seed and a land, a seed and a land. And God told him he would have more descendants than he could count. And the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, giving him giving him, giving his descendants the land of Canaan. And God even marked out the boundaries or the property lines of that land 
And he said, Abraham, I'm going to give this to your descendants. And God told Abraham that all of the families of the earth would be blessed through his seed, through a descendant of Abraham. Well, remember what God said to Satan? <clears throat> remember that God told Satan there would be a descendant of a woman, first of all, a descendant of Eve, her seed, that would bruise his head. Well, that seed, that descendant that would come later as a descendant of Abraham actually would be in Abraham's genealogical line. And so God miraculously gave to Abraham and his wife Sarah a son, and his name was Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob, and Jacob was also called Israel. And Jacob had 12 sons, one of whom was named Joseph. And when Joseph was 17 years old, his 11 brothers, you guess you know about lots of brothers, I, I only have one, but when they got together, these 11 brothers decided to sell Joseph. They were jealous of him, and so they decided to sell him, and he wound up in Egypt. Well, during the following years, Joseph became a great leader in Egypt, and he served in Pharaoh's court, or we could say he served in Pharaoh's administration. Well, the other 11 sons of Jacob were still in Israel, and after some years, there was such a famine in Israel, they were going to have to go somewhere to get food. Well, there was food in Egypt. So they had to go to Egypt for food, and in this great story of mercy and forgiveness and grace, they went to Egypt, and Joseph saw to it that food was provided for his 11 brothers and his father. Well, these descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob lived in Egypt for 430 years, and they became very numerous. It was in Egypt that God began to make the children of Israel, remember Jacob's name was Israel, and he had 12 sons, which became the 12 tribes of Israel. It was in Egypt that God began to make the children of Israel a great nation, and they were so numerous that it frightened the Egyptians. And the day came when Egypt had a new Pharaoh, not the one that Joseph had always served in his court. There was a new Pharaoh, and Scripture says he didn't know Joseph. And so he, with the rest of the Egyptians, became afraid of the children of Israel, and so they made slaves of the children of Israel in Egypt. Well. God had made a promise to Abraham that he would not break. And so God couldn't leave them in Egypt because he had given Abraham a land, the land of Canaan. And so God raised up a man named Moses. And God said to Moses, you go down there and you tell Pharaoh that I said to let my people go. Well, Moses went and of course, Pharaoh didn't want to let him go. He was using them as slaves. And so God began to deal with Egypt through a series of 
plagues and judgments until finally it was, you know, toward the end of that time, then God said, here's what you tell him. Death is going to pass over Egypt and it's going to kill every firstborn person, animal. Every firstborn is going to die except those who followed God's instruction by putting the blood of a perfect lamb on their doorpost. And whoever did that was spared. And God promised that they would be spared. Well, death passed over Egypt. And they were saved by the blood of a Passover lamb. That's where we get the word. Passover. Death passed over Egypt. But there was a lamb that with his blood on the doorpost would spare them from death. And those lambs became known as a Passover lamb. Well, finally, Egypt was glad to get rid of them. And so they moved out of Egypt to Mount Sinai where God gave to Moses the Ten Commandments or the Old Covenant or the Law, whatever you want to call it. And so God spoke and when God spoke, the mountain shook and there was fire and a cloud and, and the people were stunned with the power and the presence of God in that place. And so in that place, God gave Moses the plan for a tabernacle. Uh, the tabernacle was this huge, special tent that God would use to dwell among his people. And so he told Moses how to make it. And it was where they could pick it up and take it down and take it with them wherever they went. And, and the presence of God could be seen from a part of that tabernacle called the Holy of Holies. And so they could see fire coming out of there, uh, showing the presence of God in the day, uh, I'm sorry, at night. And then in the daytime, there would be a cloud so that they could look and see that God was present with them. He was among them and the glory of the Lord filled that place. The book of Leviticus then taught the people about the holiness of God and how to worship him and how to keep themselves holy. Now, remember, God only dwells among the holy. And so in the book of Numbers, God brought the children of Israel to the land that God had promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And about two million of them walked up to the entrance of the land that God had promised. And when they got there, God said, here it is, go on in and take it. Well, they did probably what we would do in our culture today. They decided they'd first send in the committee and so they picked out a committee and sent the committee in to look. And all but two of the committee came back and said, uh-uh, there are giants in there. The inhabitants of that land look like giants. And they said, we, we, can't, we can't go in there. We can't do this. They'll, they'll eat us a lot. So we can't do that. Now, Joshua and Caleb were two committee members that said, God's given the land. All we got to do is go in there. And they, they were saying, nope. Nope, can't do that. And so they, the people let fear keep them from doing what God said. And so they didn't receive what God had for them because they were afraid to take it. And it didn't look like what they wanted it to look like. So they just said, uh-uh, 
You know, what did they do? They doubted God's word. They doubted God's goodness and they doubted God's sovereignty. Same thing that happened to Eve. And they said, we're not, we're not going in there. And so a whole generation, mind you here, we're talking years, a whole generation died wandering around outside the land because they didn't listen to God and trust God and obey God. And after about 40 years, they got on in there. And in Deuteronomy, Moses tells God's children how to live in the land. He gives instructions. And he said, if you obey me, you will be the head and not the tail. If you don't, you won't. Well, God gave the law again to that generation. And he added, you shall love the Lord your God. You are to love the Lord your God. See, that's what God has always been after is a love relationship with his creation. And so God expected the uh, obedience from people that he had delivered. Well, Joshua uh, led them into the promised land and each tribe, each of the 12 tribes was given its allotment of the inheritance of land. And Joshua lived for 110 years. And scripture tells us that Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua. So they had 110 really good years under the godly leadership of Joshua. Then there arose a generation that did not know God or the work he had done for Israel. They didn't pass down the information. They didn't know God. And so they forsook the Lord and they sinned and went after other gods. And throughout the book of Judges, Israel would be defeated and in bondage and then cry out to the Lord and the Lord would send a deliverer and things would go well for a while. And then they would fall into sin again and be defeated and wind up in bondage and cry out to the Lord and the Lord would send a deliverer. That happens seven times in the book of Judges. Just like us, we fall away and we get in a dreadful mess and we cry out to the Lord and the Lord will deliver and over and over again. And so they spiral through almost 400 years. Ruth was a lady <clears throat> that lived during the time of the Judges and she, even though she was a Moabite, a Moabite was a pagan, okay, non-Jew. She was a Moabite. She chose to follow the Lord. And it is an encouraging picture in that book of the ushering in of the Gentiles by a kinsman redeemer. Read the story. But that's what it's all about, that Ruth could be accepted into the kingdom of God, even though she was a Moabite. Well, God then raised up Samuel. Samuel was a prophet, priest, and judge. He is the transition from judges to the kings of Israel. He's in the middle, and so there's a transition there. And so the people didn't want to be distinct from other nations of the world. They didn't want to be different, and so they didn't want God as their ruler because all the other nations had a king. And so they wanted a king like the other nations. And so in that way, they rejected the Lord God, their creator, their former, their beginner. They, they, they rejected the Lord God as their king and they wanted another king. Well, 
God gave them Saul. Saul did not listen to God. And then God chose David. David listened to God and followed God. Did David make mistakes? Yes. But God says he was a man after his own heart. Why? Because God, David always went back to God with his mistakes. And so throughout First and Second Kings, God is at work setting up kings and removing kings and setting up kingdoms and removing kingdoms. How? Because he's sovereign and he's working. He's working from a an overall picture that you and I can't see, don't grasp. And so 1st and 2nd Chronicles and 1st and 2nd Samuel record the days of the kings of Israel. David's son Solomon became king and built the first permanent temple. It was built along the pattern of the tabernacle and when he built it, God's glory filled it. God's glory filled it. And so it was just like the tabernacle in that way that could see the presence of God. His glory filled the place. And so God was with his people in his city, Jerusalem, and the land that he had chosen for them came. Well, in 931 BC, the kingdom divided. Here we go, north and south. There was the northern kingdom, that was called Israel, and there were 10 tribes. The southern kingdom was called Judah, and it had two tribes. Now get this, in the 10 northern tribes, not one king listened to God. Not one king listened to God. God sent prophets. He sent Elijah. He sent Elisha. He sent Amos. He sent Hosea to warn them of what was going to happen if they did not repent and return to the Lord. But in 722 BC, the northern kingdom was taken by Assyria. And they took, they took Israel into bondage. The southern kingdom had a few good kings, but many bad kings. And God sent prophets to warn them. He sent men like Obadiah and Joel and Isaiah and Micah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Zechariah. Zechariah begins with, do not be like your fathers who didn't listen. And so God sends the messengers and they warned them and they said, God said, if you don't change your ways, God will send Babylon to take you. And they didn't listen. They just kept right on going the way they had been. And so they were taken to Babylon in what's called three sieges or three groups. The first one was in 605 B.C., the next one was in 597 B.C., and the next one was in 586 B.C. And so they took the southern kingdom to Babylon, and God destroyed Jerusalem and that magnificent temple that His glory had filled. All of that happened in 586 B.C. And so God's presence left. His presence left because the people didn't listen to Him and wouldn't obey Him. They would not listen to the word that he sent through the prophets. So he let them go into bondage. Well, from that time on, 
there is not a mention of God's presence being in an earthly temple. No mention. But there was always hope. Joel said the day of the Lord was coming. Isaiah talked about a holy, holy, holy God and a son that would be given whose name would be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Micah said that Babylon would take Jerusalem, but there would be a remnant left, a remnant left. And when Jerusalem fell, Lamentations is the record of mourning about the city, lamenting, brokenheartedness of Jeremiah and the people with him that grieved over the ruin of the city of Jerusalem. Zephaniah said, the day of the Lord is coming. Habakkuk walked around saying, God, there is sin everywhere. There is sin everywhere. Why aren't you doing something? And God answered him. He said, I am. But if I told you what it was, you wouldn't believe it. That's all he said. Well, Daniel was a young man, a teenager, who was taken to Babylon in the first siege against Jerusalem. And he prophesied Israel's future from Babylon. And he said that Israel would be ruled by the Babylonians, the Medes, and Persians. And he also mentioned Greece, the fourth world kingdom. Mind you, when Daniel said that, those kingdoms were not really in existence but he gave the future of what was going to happen. Well, Ezekiel was taken to Babylon in the second siege against Jerusalem around 597, and he prophesied from there about a new covenant. A new covenant, not, not where they were living in the old covenant, but there was going to be a change, something different, a new covenant. And so both Daniel and Ezekiel said that God said, a day will come when I will be their God and they will be my people. God didn't quit. He didn't give up hope. He didn't stop wanting it and God was determined that it would happen. Well, Israel was in Babylon for 70 years. In the book of Ezra, Cyrus, king of Persia, made a decree. Persian Empire comes in. Here comes Cyrus, who was mentioned in Scripture long by name, long before he was ever born. And so he made a decree for Israel to return to their land. Well, Zerubbabel led them there. And when some got home, they started rebuilding that temple. They remembered that some of them knew. And, and that temple that was destroyed, it was still on their hearts. And so they, they started rebuilding the temple. But one day, for whatever reason, they just stopped. Just quit. In their history, they knew of the tabernacle in the wilderness. God's glory had filled it. They had seen, they had been in Solomon's temple. They knew that God's glory had filled it. And so they were going to build a temple. It was for God's presence in their midst. But they stopped. They stopped rebuilding 
the temple. The prophet Haggai challenged them to consider their ways. Think about what you're doing. Think about what you're not doing. Nehemiah returned to Jerusalem, that broken, destroyed city that the walls had been torn down. And, and Nehemiah returned to Jerusalem. He was a, 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 a strong leader in, in, the, in the Pharaoh's, in, in the Persian court. And so he came, he asked permission to go rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Fascinating story. Read the book of Nehemiah. And so they did. They finished that wall in 52 days. Well, God wanted to be there among his people. That's God's heart. He wants to be with us, to communicate with us, to be a part of us. And God still wanted that. And so he sent Zechariah saying, return to me so that I may return to you. He talked about a future kingdom. He talked about the new covenant. Tucked in all of those years were three prophets who prophesied about other nations. Jonah, Nahum prophesied to Nineveh. Obadiah pronounced what would happen to Edom because of violence against the descendants of Jacob. God still had his eye on the seed of Abraham, the descendants of Abraham. Why? God had made him a promise. God's not going to break that promise. The book of Esther records an attempt to annihilate the Jews. Isn't it fascinating how that's gone on all through history? There are always people who want to destroy the Jews. And the book of Esther tells us about an attempt to annihilate the Jews. It's still going on today. Generations have hated the Jews. Why? I think because they have the covenants, they have the promises, they have the law, and Messiah would come from them. I'm going to tell you who hates them, and that is Satan, and that is because of all this. The covenants, the promises, the law, the Messiah would come from them. The prophet Hosea shows us that God had entered into a covenant with Israel, kind of like a marriage covenant. And so in spite of that, Israel continued to be unfaithful. Hosea says they played the harlot. They were not faithful to God. And so God begged her to return, but she would not listen. God's heart hurt. Look what all he's done for how many years? And the people still wouldn't listen. If only Israel would understand. If only she would see what she was doing to the one who had created them, who had given them life and breath, who had chosen them for himself. If only she could see what her, infidel her infidelity was doing to her own children but they didn't, they couldn't. Malachi was the last prophet. He talked a lot to the priests, telling them to get their act cleaned up. And then for 400 years, 
God did not say one word. For 400 years, there is not a recorded word that God spoke. He had been through all of that, and the day came when he just hushed. 400 years. And finally, one day, after 400 years, God spoke again. What did he say? I'll tell you next time. Be sure to join us. God bless you.